0: All right! <laughs> Yay, we're back. Hello, hello. My name is Andrea Miller. I am the host of Open Relationships: Transforming Together. I am joined by co-host Joanna Schroeder and our amazing producer Brian Atkins. We have an amazing guest for you today, uh, Yolanda Renter- Renterio. Excuse me. But I just—we're in 2024, folks. At the beginning of a new year, and. Oh, this year is going to be a doozy. It's going to be a doozy with, uh, you know, on the political front, on the geopolitical front, on, on a lot of fronts. And so I just really want to emphasize the point of this show is to help you manage and, and really thrive in your relationships, especially those that can be the most challenging, right? And so when I think about a doozy of a year, when there's so much political divisiveness, there's so much cultural divisiveness. I mean, gosh, people are disagreeing over, you know, the First Amendment now and, and strange bedfellows are aligning. So our mission is to really slow down, create a, a wonderful, entertaining space for us to get into really, really important topics. Uh, and that's relationships. How do we, especially when we disagree or if we're feeling a little uncomfortable, how can we do that better? Um, that's how we thrive in our lives we know there's a there's still a loneliness epidemic happening that didn't go away in 2023 there's a mental health crisis that didn't go away in 2023 and a massive way to improve in these critical areas in our lives is to figure out especially again in 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 challenging relationships how to do it a little bit better right because the the opposite leads to more hurt and heartache and you know stomping away and feeling angry and unseen and unheard. So that's the point of the show. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. So let me introduce our guest. Yolanda is amazing. She has a super cool TikTok and Instagram. Um, Yolanda is a trauma therapist and licensed professional counselor. She is a somatic experiencing practitioner trained in EMDR, brain spotting, and DBT. We're going to come back to a few of these things. She's an adjunct faculty psychology professor at Northern Arizona University and is passionate about helping people break generational trauma cycles and thrive in their parenting and relationships. So all the good stuff. Thank you so much for joining us, Yolanda. Welcome to Open Relationships.
1: Thanks for inviting inviting me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Yeah, same. Um we are big fans of yours and all the great wisdom that you're uh, putting out there on your social channels. So my first question, in light of the Vatican's recent announcement that allows gay couples to request blessings from their Catholic priests, noting that the church still opposes same-sex marriage and labels homosexual acts as intrinsically disordered, progress for sure, right? Definitely some progress, not, not where we a lot of us want the Catholic church to go, but certainly some progress. I would love for you to comment on your popular post that described homophobia as religious trauma. I think that resonated with a lot of people.
1: Yes. Thank you for asking. You know, whenever we're talking about religion, people are going to automatically, a lot of people, I should say, not everyone, but triggered by this topic because I think that sometimes people feel like we're talking about them not having faith. Right. Or yeah, a lot of us have been indoctrinated to not challenge or talk about anything that the church is doing. But in reality. We have learned from other human beings about how the Bible is interpreted and it is doing a lot of harm in many ways to people in our community. And I think this is one of the ways that it has done harm where we have been taught that there is a right way to live and how and the things that we do to people to exclude them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so important to to challenge ourselves and see it does this really fit with the way that we work in this community
0: do you um practice catholicism or what what religion or do you identify with religion personally
1: I I don't. Mm-hmm. I grew up Catholic. Mm-hmm. I I think it wasn't until I started my deconstruction journey in my mid mid to late Did you say deconstruction journey? Yes. <laughs> oh, we're coming back to that, baby. Oh, I have not heard that phrase. I like it. I
0: like it. Yes. But anyway, okay, oh, keep going, keep going.
1: Yeah. I I did and and you know, I I understand how difficult it can be. To even have a conversation where you're challenging what you've been told all of your life is true.
0: Oh, my God. But but That is like you just you just like went to the heart of our show. Right. Because (laughs) that's what we're that's what we want to do here. Right. And I feel like for for people to have that courage to talk about um, what can be challenging in their faith. My sister and I really got into it uh, a couple of years ago over Christmas about. Um, you know, she has very strong faith, and and her line, her the um, Greek Orthodox Church. I mean, it's it's a wonderful community in a lot of ways, but but challenging views to me on homosexuality. And we got into it, and she got really defensive. And I realized I should have done a better job of uh, making it safer to have the conversation. But but what you just said reminds me, and I feel like it's in politics, it's in religion, it's in a lot of things where people suddenly feel like they need to defend an institution, right? Which is a big effing problem rather than saying, hey, let me be curious, right? Let me be open. And and both open to describe, you know, what I what I love or, you know, but also open to hear where others maybe have doubts, right? Because I feel like that's really where the transformation can occur when we have that openness,
1: but it can feel, you know, very fraught. Absolutely. And it's so important to understand that whatever we engage in is supposed to add to our life, not take away. And when it comes to labeling homosexuality as a bad thing, Mm -hmm. a lot of times there's broken relationships or strained relationships. And in that video, I was talking about how many parents just cut their kids from their lives. A hundred percent.
0: One of our friends, they're uh, a good Irish Catholic family. When the Catholic Church described it as sin, I think a lot of us were disappointed. You know, for as um, as progressive as Pope Francis has been, I think there was something that came out in 2021 that described homosexuality as sin, and it was like, I mean, her—they've been Catholic all their lives. They're like, all right, well, that's it. We're out. Our because our gate, we we love our gay son we unconditionally love our our gay teenage son and and you know the the catholic church just lost us which is so unfortunate because there's so much good right exactly. in um you know in these religious institutions we know that there's some challenging aspects in most of them probably all of them but it's a bummer when when the good ends up getting thrown out the proverbial baby with the bathwater mm-hmm. because there's something that's so polarizing
1: right and in a big way right because yeah. how are you ever going to feel welcome in a place mm-hmm. that tells you that unless you go against what feels right to you the thing that if you are open about in your life and with uh, with other people yeah. that it's actually going to improve your mental health you have to shut it down in order to belong to this community and how can you how can you live while you're always trying to suppress who you are it yeah. doesn't work that, that yeah well and
0: that's what's been hard i mean our kids are i talk a lot about um my sons they're 11 and 13 but even my 13 year old when he was in fifth grade we moved from new york city to colorado spring so very different culturally right and we know that there's homophobia everywhere and there's progressive values everywhere um but there was a boy that he became pals with in fifth grade who uh said that in the bible homosexuality is a sin and one of my son Nicholas's very favorite people in the world is this wonderful gay man that was his teacher for many years, our, we love you, Richard, we love you, we love you, and oh my gosh, Nicholas was so outraged, and he just, it's like he was hurt, he was outraged, uh, because we're not a very religious family, and so for uh, this, this boy that he's buddies with to um, claim that the Bible says homosexuality is a sin, she didn't know what to do with that. Like, it was really hard for our family. And it was like, Ooh. and then one of our, one of my friends, I mentioned that to a friend, she talked to the mom and the mom's like, ah, you know, and it's just like, you know, and I, it's tough. And, and I just wish the church almost made, made it easier for, it's like, okay, doctrine, fine. I understand there's some, I, I do and I don't. Um, you know, some of the some of the strictures, if you will, from on high. But it almost feels like as a practical way, you almost want these priests of the local parishes and the local churches to say, hey, let me help you work through how to thread this needle, because it's like I feel like when you can hold two things that can both be true intention, not to say that I I don't believe homosexuality is a sin at all going on the record. (laughs) So for me, that's not the case but in in catholicism to say hey our doctrine says this but practically and i think that's what uh, francis is trying to do now to say you can get blessed as a gay gay couple but it just it feels so hard and hurtful like it's interesting to me we have we have some gay friends that are are strict catholics and and i honestly i feel like i need to ask him about this because i'm like <laughs> how does that work
1: you know yeah yeah When you hear kids repeating those statements to other kids, I mean, I was 10 once. I was 12, 13 once. And I know that when I spoke, I didn't really understand. I was just repeating the things that I was learning. So when we are raised in those environments, we just repeat what we've been told is true. I mean, this is just a general rule for a lot of the ways that we that a lot of our belief systems. Right. Yeah. I think one of the biggest misses probably in this conversation of doing the right thing is that there are things that are part of your identity, like who you are, that if you suppress, you're not going to be happy. And we have seen this Mm -hmm. over and over again. The highest suicide rates are with teens and people who can't express themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when we look at that and then we look at a lot of things that people are told you know is the best way to live their life like you know to not kill someone not you know cheat and all of these other things a lot of those are behaviors and behaviors come with choice your identity is not a choice and the fact that people keep keep thinking that this is a choice just because you're you are choosing to act on what feels right for your identity. Well, totally. And that's, I feel like that, I, I'm glad you referenced that because
0: that's that's what makes, for me, when I think about um, LGBTQ issues, I feel like there's just the profound amount of, like it feels willful, a profound amount of willful ignorance that it's a choice and it's not a choice. It's biological. And I just think about um, these poor To your point, that these kids are in these impossible situations. They're having to choose between who they are as human beings, their identity and their family, their religion, uh, you know, that a a cultural um, norm that that doesn't that excludes them to your point. And it's it's heartbreaking, you know, and I I admire and I I applaud the families that like the one that I described, our our, uh, family friends. Um, that said, you know what? We're going to put our kids over our religion. And amen. You know, and, and hopefully they can they can do both eventually. A- amen. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> um, right? And But your, your point, I think, is the exact right one. And I hope for parents and teachers listening who, where this, they feel a, a healthy tension here or they feel like, you know, they want to uphold their religion. It's like, can you make room for these younger people and even the older people, let's face it, they're, they're closeted people in their you know older years who are, are living with a lot of hurt and heartache because they, they don't want to have to, if you will, out themselves um, because they don't want to be ostracized. And it just it feels like here in 2024 um, that shouldn't have to be such a hard decision for people.
1: I will take it a step further and say that there are a lot of people who are unhappy in their relationships who maybe had attraction or some desire, maybe they were bisexual, maybe they they wanted to explore sexually. Whatever it was, but that part of themselves they had to shut down because it didn't fit yeah. what is acceptable, right? And I think that's the biggest problem when we're constantly shutting down who we are in order to belong. It doesn't mean that there are things that will add to our lives. Faith, I think it's something that can add to people's lives, like the belief that there's something greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. And you also get to make that choice, right? What you believe in. It doesn't have to be exactly I mean, we have so many different religions religions, right? Yeah. Like well, it can be very religious in very different ways, but that what ultimately makes our life or or gives our life meaning is our connection to our faith or purpose yeah well totally and i i would contend that
0: as you know we've seen the numbers um um fall precipitously in the last um some i if i'm not mistaken couple of decades where fewer and fewer people are participating in organized religion you know and uh, uh at the same time we're seeing this increase in mental health issues and a loneliness epidemic that's raging it does feel like these two are related right because i feel like the best um religious communities they're coming together and supporting each other and and you know it, there's friendships and and that sense of support and and that shared sense of faith and a belief in in a higher power and an organiza- organizing principle that that cares and that we all belong like That feels good. Right. And in the absence of that, it does make sense where there's kind of an almost like an existential crisis brewing that says, what does it all mean? Do I belong? (laughs) You know, you can kind of see why that that, you know, splintering in faith has pretty massive downstream ramifications.
1: Uh, Absolutely. I will share that my mom has always been very open. She's Catholic. Mm -hmm. She's been a practicing Catholic all of her life but having conversations with her about faith and also challenging what we've mm-hmm. been told has been a big part of my own deconstruction because I have been able to share with her what, what things mean to her and I think that some people feel like if you if you don't believe that homosexuality is a sin then you're not religious or you can't be part of it and I think this Different. is you know it goes back to being excluded, being cut off, being, mm-hmm. you know, pushed aside. At the end of the day, humans are wired to connect. And yeah. this connection is going to feel painful. And disconnection can come in different contexts. Religious, it it can be a big one for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, no, I feel like the the big thing in in fact, I'm I'm personally going through my deconstruction, I like that, uh reconstruction maybe, e- even better. And this whole idea of being seen, like really seen feels really critical to being a um a healthy thriving individual. And you can't really be seen um if you have to hide that part of yourself. And I feel like that, you know, again, it it's it becomes existential like by definition, my identity is wrong, right? That makes me wrong. So like, what do you do with that? So how does your mom, so tell, so, so walk me through, what is that, what has that been like um, having that kind of that, um, that change in relationship with your mom, or maybe it's not a change, but just to the extent that you're pushing back a little bit, maybe you're challenging her is she open to it? How does she handle it? What do you do? Have there been any breakthroughs? I'm, I'm really fascinated.
1: Yes. So just growing up, I always went to church with, with her. I'm the youngest. So she would always take okay. me. And there was a period okay. of her life where she was going to church all of the time. So I was there, like Bible study, all of it, mm-hmm. Right? Okay. So i I was the good girl who wanted to do all the right things. I didn't really understand them. But, you know, adults would see me like this, I don't know, enlightened child, child going to... Really cute little, little Yolanda. So cute. (laughs) Yes. And so one of the things that my mom has always told me, because we grew up in a, a, we grew up in a family. I wouldn't say we're living in poverty. Like we had the basic needs met, but there was a lot of Mm -hmm. other things, things that I now have in my life. And so she's Mm -hmm. always told me, you're very blessed. And... Mm -hmm. This is like a constant thing and I, I I I take it in because I know this comes from a good place, but she she kept telling me that I was blessed by God and I had challenges with that. and so yeah. I think that that was one of the biggest things where it was like, well, why me right like and she's like yeah. right because then it's like you're challenging God's will. And I'm like, I'm not challenging it. I'm just saying, like, there are so many other people who are better than I am. Why am I the chosen one? And she would be like, you don't know that yet. You know, or maybe, you know, like, you'll know. Or, you know, all of these phrases that we use over and over. Mm -hmm. And that didn't really sit well with me. So I started really challenging these ideas. I have a, a, a sister who has gone through so many hardships financial Mm. and medical and she's like the the best person you can imagine like she would literally take whatever you know like food from her uh mouth to to feed other people like she's that type of like Like, why am i blessed and Mm. why is she going through all of this so in my mind i had to understand like there has to be something more than what we're learning and so she would push back right but then at the same time, we started having conversations, and then one day mm-hmm. I, or would you have loved your like your kids? Um, if one of the like if one of them was gay, would you have loved them? Or if I was gay, right? Mm-hmm. And she said, I would love that child more. Oh, hey, and mama, All right. <laughs> yes, and she said because I know how much hate they would take from the world. Nah. Nah. So they would need more love. For, I'm getting emotional. Just mm-hmm. saying that they would need more love from me.
0: Wow, that's amazing, Mama. I love. I mean, wow, just such such wisdom and courage, right? Yeah. For for you know, presumably a little bit of an older woman, um, you know, stalwart in the Catholic Church to have that perspective. Well, let me
1: ask: um, Are you or any of your siblings gay? No. Enough, but i i right. do have uh my, my niece was oh came out. oh oh okay so what's that relationship like with her and your mom oh my mom is very open oh thank god yeah that doesn't yeah it's been more of a conversation with my brother about that her and- her dad
0: presumably your niece's dad oh so
1: what's his how, how does and how old is your niece My niece is, I want to say she's in her early 20s, maybe 21. Oh, okay. And how long has she um, identified
0: as gay or been out, you know, kind of um, Uh, openly?
1: Yes. uh, Probably a couple of years. So she just said it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, she knows that it's safe with me. So I think
0: that helped. helped. Oh, I'm sure. I think it's easy
1: to forget.
2: I, I grew up in an evangelical community and I think it's easy to forget that when you're an outsider, you think, oh, this parent or this grandparent or this community is is judging them and just simply hates them. And in reality, if you grow up believing that your child's eternal soul is on the line, then you believe you're doing something loving by telling them, no, 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 you can't do this. They're Mm. not in... Sometimes I try hard to imagine how you could look at your child and tell them, oh, this thing that you can't change is a sin. And then I also remember growing up, believing you had to say a certain thing the right way to not burn in hell. And as a parent, what could be scarier than that? And I'm not saying they're right for doing it. I'm saying when I try to see openly how we make those choices, it's like, that's where you can see it has to come from the institution. Like, hey, parents, (laughs) don't alienate your children because it's literally deadly. And I wish they would talk more like Andrea said about What would be a bigger sin to isolate your child and make them feel unloved and then eventually maybe they take their own lives or to encourage them to live authentically what would make them happy and give them a full life?
1: Absolutely. And I think that a lot of the times parents confuse it as love, right? Because I want to see you in heaven. I don't want you to burn in hell, right? So I feel that I am telling you this so that. Save you, and there's not enough understanding that it's not something that people can't just change. Because yeah. well, okay,
0: so that, I've got two burning questions from that. First of all, um is your brother accepting of his daughter, or is that still a little tension or a lot of tension?
1: No, there's not a lot of tension, and and you know, something that I what, what something that I told her when she shared that was, you know whether you bring a male or a female to this house, they will be welcome. And so mm, I think nice, think they will be welcome at your dad's house too. <laughs> oh, had good. My you brother. got influence with the brother. Good job, Yolanda. <laughs> um, no, but he he knows. My brother knows. My brother loves his children. Mm-hmm. I think that it was just something that he's been exposed to a lot uh, from a machista culture, like a cultural perspective, from a religious perspective, from a Totally, political... props to him. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that in the end, you know, that's what he values more, but I do feel like he felt it challenging in that moment, but... Mm, good for him. We've had enough conversations. This is something that I've always, you know, been the one in the family who's always challenging views. This <laughs> man? I think he, he kind of knows and and he loves his kids. And I think that, you know, she she hasn't brought a, a girl home. In fact, like she's, she's through her own journey right now. But it, the moment that she did if, or if she chose to, she knows that she would be accepted and welcome because she is right now exactly for who she is. And I think that's what love is, that you feel safe to be yourself in front of those who you love. The moment that you have to hide who you are, then the people that your parents are loving is not you. It's just who they want to see. Well, totally. And that's
0: so yes, super big props to your brother and to your point that there's there are a handful of of cultural forces that your brother has. It sounds like effectively stood up to to say, I am going to put love first. And what a gift. I mean, seriously, props to him. But I want to go back to something you were saying. Joanna, and I feel like implicitly even, you know, in, uh, you know, certain strict, um, Catholic homes or, you know, Catholic individuals, this real tension between people. And I feel like it comes up with abortion, right? There are people that really believe conception starts or that life starts at conception, right? And, and then others who have a, a different perspective, how do you reconcile? Um, people that have those strict beliefs that really believe they're doing the right thing with those that, if you will, that I would say, like your brother, more enlightened, right? I mean, because especially I feel like it's easy for people that probably tend to be more left-leaning to judge those who are maybe more, you know, have more conservative values to yes, say, yes, that's terrible. What's wrong with you? And these are good, I believe, Mostly, uh, I mean, they're challenging people on the right and left. Let's be real, but I think the you know they're evangelicals, as you described, Joanna, who really, really, really believe they are doing the right thing. Yeah, and and that's love to them. So how do you so Yolanda? How do you reconcile those two?
1: Can you? I believe that we believe what we have been taught, mm-hmm. and we can't change u- unless we challenge ourselves. Yes. Any kind of growth is going to require us to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and that's inner work. I think that it really yeah. helps yeah. have conversations in a way where we're not um, demonizing a group of people when we're not putting Amen. down people's faith. Yeah, and also talking about our greater our greater purpose. What do I want in my life and what will lead to that? And what is getting in the way of that? For Mm -hmm. me, it's like, I want to be closer to the people around me. I want to be more accepted, accepting. I want to be less judgmental. What is going to lead me to be that person? And what is getting in the way, including the things that I've been taught?
0: Yeah, I I love that. I mean, I just, oh, I just want to like, uh, I don't know, like squeeze it <laughs> again. Hug it
2: so much because when uh, I, it's w- oh, sorry, go ahead, Joanna. Oh, no, I was just going to say that's the thing is what gets between us is ourselves. I think that when I think about that conversation about abortion and I generally won't even argue it with people because the people I know who are who are against it are against it because they think you're killing babies. And I would never how am I going to challenge that, you know, so that uh-huh. in that way to be close to that person I have to deal with my own stuff so that I can hear them and not be reactive. So I can focus on this is a person that I love and they're doing something out of love for children. That's why they're doing it. Whether I agree or Andrea agrees or whoever, that's why that person's doing it, which means I got to get rid of my crap. And that's all I can control, right? Is my crap, right? Yeah, totally. And I, I just love that, you know,
0: when you talked about uh, challenging ourselves takes a lot of courage. Uh, facing the discomfort, um, you know, doing this yourself. You're, you talk about your own inner work. I'm a big fan of that. Without putting others down, that that just feels like like really the holy. And I say this with sincerity. Like the holy, sacred reason each of us is here to do that ourselves. And I feel like when when I do that really well myself, how that changes the dynamic. Um, like the opposition goes away. You know what I mean? It's like we might disagree, but it's not oppositional. You, and, and it just that feels like a really big, important game changer. And especially, you know, at a time, you know, again, 2024, there's going to be yeah. a lot of opposition and, and very inflamed opposition. So and how can we dis-
2: disagree without pushing our sides away. How can we do that without becoming more and more polarized? You're bad. I'm good.
0: Yeah. So do you have a, a tip or two? So let's say, uh, Yolanda, um, you know, in your practice or just, you know, practically people are getting together socially and whether they're talking about a disagreement in religion. And and sometimes it's like, let's just not talk about that, which I, I guess is OK. But I also feel like that kind of shuts down the opportunity for real connection. So do you have um, a piece of advice for the you know next time somebody listening to this You know, is facing that, um, you know, that discomfort, that oppositional thing with another person. What, what would, is there one thing that you would say? Hey, here's your hack, or here's the tip or trick I want to give you.
1: Like I mentioned, this is an inner work. You can't make somebody grow; that they have to grow, right? Oh, come on, Yolanda. I was hoping you'd give me a tip or a trick. I will. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Keep going. Keep going. I'm listening. here is what I do. I'm a feminist, and I'm also deconstructed from going, growing up in a very traditional household, like, in, in Mexican household. But I start having conversations about how I challenge myself.
0: Nice. Oh, okay. So, like, tell me, like, can, like, how would that be? Like, 30
1: seconds. What would one of those sound like? Ooh, I love it. I remember when I didn't believe that it was right to have an abortion. I remember when I believe that people were killing, you know, uh, babies. I saw videos of the process, you know, and viral videos that we're exposed to with a baby on the background, like the, the, the voice of a baby on the background. And now, right, I understand things from a different perspective. And this is the work that I've done to to challenge. Wow. Back. And also, I, I like to to talk about how important it is for us to challenge challenge ourselves. Like if we didn't learn something consciously, we learned that unconsciously. So who gave me this message? And if I just take it as the truth without, without really understanding it, for like the root of it, why, right? Why would I just repeat something that I learned unconsciously? And now as an adult, I don't take my time to revisit this And assess it from this adult perspective. And if feels too overwhelming and too vulnerable, that's probably something that I could benefit from looking at. Oh my gosh! So you're
2: really you're really saying instead of saying here's what you should believe, you're you're telling your journey. Because I'm thinking from an example of growing up in this evangelical community and always being accepting of people, uh, regardless of their sexuality, that instead the example, if I'm following you, it might be, um, I, I understand because I remember being so afraid that people were not going to come to heaven. And that was so scary for me and I worried so much. And then I started thinking about how could there be a God that loves us, that would send someone to hell because of the way that they were made. And that was what really got me thinking about whether these specific passages were being interpreted in a way that made sense for now. And that was my journey. So if I'm sharing that, like using your model, I love that because I'm not telling them they're doing it wrong. I'm telling them my journey.
1: Yes. I would say that most of us, unless we grew up in a house that was very liberal or open or progressive, right? A lot of us who believe in abortion rights and that abortion is healthcare, care, right, uh, in, in um, equality, in human rights, a lot of us who hold these beliefs learn them as adults. So we had a process learn. that we went through and we had to challenge ourselves to be here. So can we have a conversation about what that has been for us? I, I do this a lot with feminism. And it's an ongoing journey for me. I'm 41 next week. Uh, I'll be 41. And I'm still deconstructing from it because I realized that even though I'm this feminist woman who, you know, it's always like pushing her husband to do more around the house and all of There's these things. Right? And it's been that has been a journey. We've been married almost 20 years. Um, I realized that at the end of the day, I was still doing a lot of the, the things that I was complaining about because. That this programming run, runs deep. So, talking about that has helped so many of the women around me to Amen. start realizing that, hey, like, yes, like my needs are important too. Yes, like asking for this is not too much. Yes, expecting for mm. expecting this is not unrealistic or too demanding.
0: Oh, I love it. Good job, Yolanda. That is awesome. And it, it I feel like it can be really scary to, um, to look at these things and to acknowledge these things. But to me, it's some of the most important work we can do, and, and particularly in your field as a healer right to do that work yourself and you know it sounds like you have a close family so it's it's your husband it's your brother it's all the you know you you've got this enormous sphere of influence on TikTok and so forth and it it takes a lot of courage and just to go back when you talk about what is handed down sincerely unconsciously that deconstruction that really active deconstruction where we where we start asking ourselves some you know really kind of basic questions i think that is one of the greatest ways we can free ourselves and you know and and change i mean you talk about generational trauma which i want to come back to but i feel like that's how we we stop the generational trauma right we 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 insist on becoming more awake and more conscious right it's and so that we can one question like
2: mm-hmm. yeah that one question why do i believe this
0: that you, and
2: that I'll, that's that that entryway into interrogating our systems that maybe we didn't know were there I've started doing that in my marriage where I'll be like uh thinking assume, assuming the worst of Yvonne and <laughs> that hot husband <laughs> that we just talked that- a few minutes ago yeah. <laughs> <laughs> before the show started I'm assuming mm-hmm. the worst of something Yvonne's doing he's being selfish he's trying to take away my free t- whatever it is and then I'll be like why do I believe this and sometimes maybe he's being a jerk. Other times it's like this is my defensive. Yeah, this is I love a defensive that Joanne. That's a good wo- one thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I love that.
0: I love that too. Okay, so I want to um, ask you about there was uh, another TikTok that um, did really well where you uh, essentially said it's BS to call out people for being stuck in victim mentality. I I think we have a little different view, so I'm just going to preempt it with that. But I would love to hear your thoughts? Um, Just because I feel like this idea of victimhood is, it's it's quite popular on TikTok. What are your thoughts on this victimhood mentality?
1: Yeah. So I've talked about how people process things differently, including their childhood. And Mm -hmm. this is not something that we chose. It just happened. There were some children who were very aware of the things that were happening they could see that the dynamics were not healthy and then there were other kids who normalized what was was happening and we understand that a lot of the times when we normalize things is because we're avoiding the pain of what's happening other times we normalize it because we see it happening in our environment so much that it feels like this is how people just relate to each other and then there are other kids who normalize it in order to preserve connection. I, the only way that I can preserve this connection with my parent is if I think what they're doing is okay. Those children who were really, who, who understood what was happening and that they wasn't right, a lot of times grew up with wounds of not being validated or not feeling seen or heard. So they're constantly either engaging in behaviors that are not the healthiest, Or they have, you know, they're they're fighting back or pushing away or whatnot. Everybody has a different response. In adulthood, though, the people who can't let go, and you, you see it often talked about as being in this victim mentality, is the people who will just repeat how damaging things were to them. But it is not a conscious choice. It is pain that hasn't been processed. People who yeah. look at that person and just hear what they're talking about because it doesn't fit their experience, a lot of the times push away from it. And then the solution for us, um, we want it to be just get over it, right? And I do-, I do believe that people can get over things, but it has to be at the right time for them. So the best way for people to get over things is to find out what's missing, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes just knowing what's missing can bring a lot of healing. Like, oh, what I'm really looking for is for an apology. What I'm really looking for is for a renegotiation of what happened. Will your parent do that? Will they apologize? Maybe not. Maybe they're not even sorry about what they did, right? Like maybe they would do it all over again. But in your healing knowing that that's why it's so hard to get unstuck from that can be what's missing for that person so i don't really believe in just this judgment around it just because i work with a lot of people who have experienced trauma and they will tell me why can't i get over this why you know every time i look at my parent i just feel so much resentment or uh, I, it reminds me of the things that happened or why is it when, when I drink, right? I start talking about it. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I think, I, yeah.
0: I, I think my, my feeling is having gone through, um, a lot of heart, uh, uh, ugh, can't talk heartache and hurt and a fair amount of trauma growing up. I think my, my feeling is, I mean, ultimately it comes down to a choice. And, and as I referenced a little while ago, Lots of deconstruction, lots of reconstruction. as I said for me, I mean to me I, I, the thing that I want to teach people um, and we they're all different experiences, uh, there are people that have gone through way more than what I have. So I I you know, again, I want to be sensitive to that. Uh, when I think about um, the meaning that you ascribe to it and the the decision, because I I do believe, that when, I mean, it's a little back to like this ignorance gap. If you don't know this is available to you and, and you you get stuck in victim mentality, are they to blame? No. Like, I don't, you know, it's like, why bother judging? I, what I care about personally is revealing to people that they ultimately have a choice. And I, I hear you loud and clear when you think about, you referenced um, some of your clients and patients that are saying, I want to get stuck, you know, I want to get out of this victim mentality a great first step, right? When I think about the opportunity each of us has, and I believe it fully, uh, each of us has the opportunity to reframe what happened to us, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, so to me, it's like, are you going to continue to insist? I insisted for a long time that I wasn't important. I insisted for a long time that I wasn't loved enough. And it is total Mm. bullshit, right? My parents for sure did the best they could. And that, you know, and so I'll, I'll uh, pivot to generational trauma in a moment. And so that's to me when I think about how do we change the world? I think how can we help these folks that are just, you know, maybe the door is just just open a little tiny crack so we can, you know, bang it open, you know, kick it open so that they can understand that there is I'm getting a little photo bomb from my 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 sweet my, my sweet boy. Nothing like uh, that's just our having your favorite toast. Yeah, Alex and Nicholas, we love them. Anyway, um, oh, there we go. Yo, yo, there he is. <laughs> you know, uh, home early. You know, given that his finals as we're recording. But as I was saying, and so and and it's actually a good. It's like um, serendipitous, right? Because I've tried so hard to be sincerely a perfect parent, and I am so not a perfect parent. And I've I've dealt with a lot of guilt and regret. I mean, I work way too much. Um, I have very high expectations of my kids, right? And so when I think about um, even I who am so conscientious about about doing it right and doing it differently than what was done for me, you know I'm, I'm sure when my kids get older um, they'll be able to look back and say, well here you know here are the five ways you screwed up or 50 <laughs> 500 ways that you screwed up, mom, what I hope they can say is you did so much right. And and what you did wrong is giving me a chance to um to grow, right? I mean that's how that you know ultimately and yeah. to frame it and to give it a meaning that is not I'm a victim, but instead like I think I am one of the most independent, hardworking, value you know like I I have great values, right? And I and I, I've worked really hard to develop these things, and I feel like if I if If I'd been if I'd been raised differently, you know, sure, I might still be happy and successful, but I really credit some of the things that I didn't get as the things that
2: have become now my superpower. And that's that's a reframing. That's a choice. There's this great Quaker story, and I don't know if it's actually true or not, but my grandfather was Society of Friends and they're pacifists. So they believe in no (laughs) violence, no matter what. Okay. and mm-hmm. it's a it's a controversial take when you start digging into pacifism because it also means you don't go and viol- and defend somebody else. So, it's oh, challenging. Never? Like if somebody is never beat so, up- oh right. Wait. So my grandfather could not fight in World War II, and he almost went to federal prison for it. And instead, he said, "I'll do any other kind of service, but I will not go to war because this is my faith." And, um, well, it was a big sense. fight. I mean, I, I, yeah, it does, can't but it's hard objector. to imagine not yeah. wanting to fight, um, Hitler, you know what I mean? So that's yeah, where it gets controversial. Wow. Like Who wouldn't mm-hmm. want to kill Hitler? Well, my grandfather wouldn't have wanted to cause he was a pacifist, wow. but there's a parable in that, in that faith that says, um, and I think they said it was William Penn who said, I can't stop carrying my sword. Cause he was like a war hero. Right. Mm-hmm. And this leader in the church said, So you'll carry your sword until you're ready to set it down. And it seems so simple, but I also feel that way about trauma or this victimhood perspective or whatever it is. It's like you'll carry that until you're ready to set it down. And being able to set it down usually takes it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? What do you need to get to when you? Until you can get to the point where you can go, okay, I'm ready to process my trauma because that is like well, seriously totally. disruptive
0: sometimes. But I, think, but I think that's the key. And and as somebody who has tried really really hard to be evolved and to not be a victim, it's like that. My story of of not being enough served me just like the sword, sir. You know that physical sword. It serves a a purpose. And, you know, so much to me when I think about, um, you know, parents or kids coming from uh, alcoholic parents and and a lot of the addiction that and, and trauma that a lot of us come from, that these, these traits that we've inherited or that we've adapted serve a really, really, really important purpose until they don't. And it just it feels like what you're saying, Yolanda, a little while ago. It's like um, having that. I mean, it's a gift uh, to have. The drive and desire to say, "I want to be free," I, I, I want to do better, right? And that's been, I mean, for me, definitely the story of my life. And it's like, it, it, oh, and it's just like, oh my God, life is right in my face, uh, you know? And, oh, and I gotta, I just gotta get to it. You talk about children as mirrors for their parents. Oh my God, talk about that because that's one of my favorite things that, um, you know, that's bubbled up in
1: in um your work that I just loved. Yes. Yes. So when we're interacting with kids, we often see this as that dynamic of we are the parent and we're guiding them. But in reality, a lot of things are being triggered by our kids, but it's not them. It's us. Right. And so our kids, through their behaviors and their words and and their their emotions are challenging parts of us. But obviously, this is a process like kids are just being themselves. They are not planning to be anyone, right? Mm -hmm. They're just being themselves. Whatever is showing up for us, it's because they are that mirror to us. If we pay attention to it, it can be a gift to us because it can help Mm -hmm. us grow. A lot of the times, though, we resist it. And so we want to change our child so that they don't trigger us anymore so that we Oh my god, can
0: you say it again? We want to change our child so they don't trigger us anymore. Oh my god. Somebody clubbed me over the head with that phrase.
2: It's I, so huge. It's so huge. So and huge. my 18-year-old is sitting right off camera but he can't hear and this. He my he would love that. Oh. If he no, if he uh, could hear it he would love it because ultimately it is easy to cause I gave birth to him, okay? So I'm like I'm like, this is where you should go. This is the direction for yeah. you. And I'm like, well, he's got a he's and even this idea that they're not choosing who they're going to be. They're just being. Yeah. He's just being and all of these little things, because he's so much like me, all the little things I want him to do better than I did are about me. They're and not I about know.
0: him. Yeah. But isn't that the healthy tension or maybe unhealthy tension, Yolanda, you tell us? On the one hand, we want the best for our kids. We want them to uh, avoid the mistakes that we've made. You know, we know that there are certain things if they do that, we know, I just said, you know, that was just to tell, uh, that or, or that we strongly believe that by working hard, getting good grades, you know, X, Y and Z will lead to better outcomes. And so we fight really hard, at least in our family and in a lot of families I know, like we're willing to go to battle. So so what do we do as as parents that, that sincerely want the best for our kids, but when we keep getting in our own way. Give us that advice because we need it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> First, I want to say that it's important to build safe containers because children do need guidance. They're growing up. They're, their brain is developing. They can't figure things out on their own. so They need guidance, and that's why it's good to have healthy expectations. I think where a lot of the times, as parents, we get it wrong is that we can have rigid expectations and we can be really inflexible, even when our children are telling us that that's not working for them mm-hmm. If we are expecting something and and they don't seem to respond to it, if we're not curious about it about that and the why, and instead, we're stuck on just forcing them to do the thing that we think it's right for them. Then there's obviously something like a conversation that is not happening because we're just so focused on this thing, uh, on them accomplishing this thing. So, so if it's... I Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. So, if I, for example, I believe that it's very important for my child to finish high school, and my child is skipping class. Instead of me being forceful about you need to do this, I'm gonna take your car away and do all of these rules. Wouldn't it be better to have a conversation about why that is not something that he feels the same way about, right? Right. I, and- I
0: agree. But let let's just role play this out. So you have the conversation with your full heart. You're a mom. You know, you're a loving mom or you're a loving dad. Um, but what if the the kid still says no, yeah, no, not 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 for me, right? I mean, they're it's like they're they're on drugs, and those drugs are hormones, right? Not even not even anything exogenous. It's inside, and influence of friends, right? Let's face it, friends are disproportionately influential um, to uh, adolescents and teenagers. So how do you if 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 that converse like that that polite and loving and curious conversation, if you still don't get through then what do you do
1: yeah it doesn't need to be loving and kind and you know it can be firm uh uh-huh, right? okay i just want to understand what is happening that is it's the yeah. end yeah. way of you meeting this so, so that mm-hmm. way Let's- if
2: someone if a kid says if i'm your kid and i'm like I hate it. It's so boring. It's so, I'm bored all the time. I hate it. I don't ever need to know algebra two. This is so stupid, mom. Like, ugh, I just hate it. Like, it's so much better when I can just look. Okay. So there you are. And what you're going to hear is I'm saying this is boring and it's not relevant to my life. No, and th- instead of being like, it's going to be relevant to your life and you have maybe, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm probably overly, I'm probably taking your message too far, but maybe then it's like, what do you want to do? What would be interesting and what would be like a similar path? Like could this kid, for instance, if they really are into hair, could they then go get a GED and also a aesthetician license or something? I mean, is that am I taking it too far?
1: Is it better than or would it be better to do something else? Yes. No, no, you're not. And so we also want to know why do you hate it so much? What why what do you hate about math? Do you struggle learning? You know, do you space out when the teacher is speaking? Like, I want to know and understand you. Mm-hmm. Let me give you also an example. This happened with my my son when he was in third grade. I would get calls by his teacher, okay? And they, and she would be like, okay, Daniel is, you know, he he's always making jokes in the classroom and he makes everyone laugh. And then people are, like, kids are not paying attention. And so I did what any parent would do. So when my kid got home, I would I would just say, don't do that. It's disrespectful. You know, you need to cut it out. <laughs> and it happened again. Right. And the second time I was like, oh, my God. Right. Like, why don't you just understand that that's not an OK thing to do and that it's disrespectful to the teacher? And, you know, I'm like putting out this lesson of why that's wrong. By the third time. I understand that there was something that was missing of the, in the in the conversation. And I hadn't even heard about what was happening, really. Like, why was he making all, like, these jokes and, and making people? And so then I was like, okay, I'm going to put my therapist hat on <laughs> now. <laughs> it took me a while. My son is 14 now. He was younger then. But anyway, so my husband and I, you know, sat down and had a conversation with him. And so it was like, it was like okay, tell us what's happening. And the the gist of it was that he likes making jokes like he liked making jokes he said i like when kids laugh you know i i feel like connected to other kids when they're laughing you know and it this speaks to like the sense of approval from other kids mm-hmm. and so then we went to a solution right like well can you do it during recess <laughs> can you yeah. say this? and he's like well we can't because I think it was during, was it during COVID? I can't, no, it wasn't during COVID. But there was something that they were doing at recess and it wasn't like the same way. Like in the classroom, that's when the joke Yeah, captive audience in the classroom on the recess. Yes, and yes. Monkey bars and football. He wants a and... stage. Yeah,
0: he needs a captive audience. Oh
1: so God. then it was like, okay, so he could then see. Because he was being heard and validated. We validated that. Like that makes sense to me, right? That okay, like we have to think about a solution because at the end of the day it's disrupting your teacher's uh, teaching and the kid's learning. And he got that. And then we reached an agreement that he was going to wait during the day and pick his three best jokes during the day. (laughs) So he had to learn to... You know, like, is this a worth uh, a joke worth telling right now or should I Uh-oh. just wait for another one? And, and he didn't. We didn't, didn't have problems after that. Would, it was like a pressure valve. He needed to let some of it out.
2: And also, can Daniel be our next guest on Open Relationships? Because Yeah, we, really need, funny. we need the jokes.
0: Yeah, we need the jokes. <laughs> Bring the jokes.
1: But, but that's the thing, right? And I think that we often do that. So we are so stuck on, like, the grades. Like, oh, my God, I was... I talk about how I used to do the, ba- my baby can read cards with my son. Like I yeah, laugh man. about it. because I like, did too. I-, I want you to be a genius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like my projection onto him was like it, I grew up with ADHD. And so, you know, like almost a graduating high school, being suspended in college, you know, because of my grades. And so when I, finally did well in school I was so invested in education being the first one in my family to have a master's degree that I wanted to make sure that my kid was kid was a genius right so right. I'm so concerned with that and grades were a big thing for me like the grades like him getting A's and like it was something that I drilled about how important it was for his future and all of this but then I understood that it was my thing it's my yeah. thing because At the end of the day, what if I am? If I see myself as my son's guide, my role as a mom is to be with him, providing a safe container, which includes limits and expectations. While at the same time, I let him be himself, Mm -hmm. right? And if I am projecting everything that I want him to do, because it's going to make me feel proud and. I can talk to people about how intelligent my son is, then I am missing the part that is him being able to explore who he really is because he just wants to make me happy. And
2: also we are so afraid because I have ADHD too and I was diagnosed late in life and I was like, our stories are so much, so similar, like so much of such bad grades, dropped out of college twice, couldn't figure out how other people did it. And then once I got in, I was so invested and. What I really wanted for my kids was to not feel stupid because I felt so stupid. I felt like there was a secret everybody knew that I didn't know just because. And and I also felt like I'm I'm unmotivated. Why can't I be whatever it is? And so it was like I got too involved in making sure my kids never failed, like never
1: struggled because I wanted to protect them from that hurt. Right. We are trying to heal our wounds through our children. And if we don't become aware of how much we project it will show up unconsciously you know and sometimes even when we're very conscious about what we're doing we do it anyway because it's so hard to break the pattern oh my god thank you yolanda
0: i i need i'm gonna be your next uh patient <laughs> reaching out to you in my weak moment saying i effed it up again and i know so much better like that's the thing that's so hard what do you tell people like me that that really i mean i'm i triple triple type a aries right joanna we share that um and and i know better but then i still screw it up like what what what's wrong with me can you just can you heal me can you give me a new chip (laughs) in my brain save us
1: there is nothing wrong with you and it absolutely everything makes sense when you understand that in the context of your experiences I think we mm-hmm. are so used to seeing things in black and white. So whether it is I am messing up or I'm getting things perfect. But a lot of mm-hmm. the time, just in the in between. And I tell people, you have to make peace with the fact that you're not going to be a perfect parent. And that's, oh, okay. I can't make peace with that. Nope. Can't. <laughs> going to fight it. <laughs> going to fight it all day long. No, the but I, is, I, I feel like that. they
2: end up in therapy for having had a perfect parent. I feel like I then and, oh, and, yeah, and and there's I no
0: there's no room. It's like learned helplessness, like everything is done for you. And then it's like, well, you know, now that's a problem. Yeah, so totally. OK, but we interrupted. So what else what else can I do? Realize yeah. that I should be not black and white, not perfect.
1: No, but I I want to add this because I love that you said that because it's so real because I think a lot of us struggle with that because if I'm not perfect, then I'm messing up. And if I mess up, I feel guilty. Yeah. One of the best things that you can do as a parent is accept that you are messing up. And I will tell you why. (laughs) When your kids are adults, if you try to be the perfect parent, your kids won't be able to come up to you to tell you, have you messed up or if they're mm. because they're too afraid of hurting your feelings and oh, wow. it is that you're going to be defensive and you're uh-huh. not gonna accept that because you have tried your best so this is when you get parents saying I did everything don't you remember all of the nights yeah. that I just sleep so I could do this for you and that for you so one of the one of the things that I, I practice is telling my kid how I'm messing up. Like, you know what? I am noticing right now that I did this. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. And it's not like a constant apology, but the awareness that I am human, that I'm making mistakes, but that I'm trying because I care.
0: hmm
1: And that's what our kids want.
0: Yeah. I love that. And I love this idea of, I mean, I literally wrote down making room for adult kids to be open. So if they ever need to have that conversation, that that I mean, so I want to talk about generational trauma, because I do think as parents, it's one of the greatest gifts we get as human beings to change the arc of the people that we bear and that, you know, uh, uh, come behind us. So first of all, I feel like the term generational trauma for some of us like, oh, yeah, we totally know what we're talking about. Others are like, I have no idea. Now I'm turning the podcast off. In as simple as you can um, language, can you just describe generational trauma, and then you know what what you recommend people do about it? And you've talked a little bit, you know, I've, I'm kind of parsing some of the things, but just if you don't mind, just starting with a definition and and maybe what people can do to change uh, what they've inherited.
1: Yes, trauma, intergenerational trauma are those things that have been harmful. That are passed on from one generation to the next and most times is just unconscious and those become our core beliefs the way that we see the world the way that we see ourselves but they don't feel good those are things that we are carrying whether it is our in our, in our behaviors in our thoughts emotionally that don't feel good but it is so normalized in our family of origin well,
0: can I chime in with uh, something really personal? I mean, I, we've talked a lot about uh, on the show, um, coming from families with a lot of addiction, uh, from workaholism, which is real, to you know, eating disorders, um, alcoholism, other forms of addiction. On the one hand, I feel like people, oh yeah, 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 that's that's common. But to me, what I've really had to grapple with as I'm fifty-two when i think about that feeling of not feeling enough not feeling seen i mean i'm grappling right now it's like i really want to be seen and then yet it's it's really scary <laughs> it's like this weird conundrum between and and it's like i get upset when i feel like my husband or you know my kids are screwing up and yet at times I've, i have i realize this is maybe going to sound really kind of kooky but i feel like at so many times so many times in my life from You know, we would always host parties at our house when I was a teenager. Thanks, mom and dad. Um, And rather than partying with my friends, I'd be cleaning up the kitchen. And it's like it's almost like I don't want to be seen. Like I just you know what I mean? Like I'm 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 that independent person that's just trying to be the good girl and, and do the right thing under the radar. And yet then when I don't get seen or I feel a slight from a friend, then I get really triggered and it's just, it, so when I, you know, not to, I feel like I just totally hijacked this, <laughs> but when I think about that generational trauma, like, I feel like so often we're looking at the manifestations of it, the alcoholism, the abuse, the, you know, those things. But what's become even more apparent to me is what's really back to the beginning of this conversation, what's so deeply hidden. And that to me feels like that's what's really secretly like almost at a genetic level. That feeling of not enough, that feeling of being un- unlovable, that feeling of being unworthy. It's almost like that's getting passed down totally, um, secretly, silently in the dark. And then we're all just trying to frantically compensate for it. Is that true? Did I just totally make that up?
1: <laughs> I No. And I love this conversation because I, I do feel like generationally we are impacting we have been impacted by our parents. They were impacted by how they were raised, and but totally we are impacted, right. So, from one generation to the next, mm-hmm. there's ancestral trauma, which are ancestral practices that have been normalized and passed on. So we're talking about behaviors as like hitting, um. Physical abuse, emotional abuse, emotional shutdown, you know, culturally, there's so many things that we have normalized that- Well, yelling at, shutting down, you know, it's like, and I've done that with
0: my kids. I'm so ashamed to say, like when they really upset me, I've literally blocked my kids on um, my phone. And it's like, what a terrible, like terrible, you know, and and it's like, I'm so frustrated. I don't know what to, it's like, I don't know what to do. So then all I can think
1: to do is
0: reject them, right? Which Uh, is- fucked up man
1: like shut, shutting down right like i'm gonna uh-huh. shut this down because it's too painful or too overwhelming uh-huh. to deal uh-huh. with yes and i you know one of the biggest difference that happens generationally especially now that we're learning so much about mental health and the impact of our um or the, the way that we're basing our kids on our kids is that it's shifting how trauma manifests we might have seen, for example, that if our parents were hit,
0: they mm-hmm. might
1: that that's appropriate, and then they hit their kids, right? Or
0: yelled at. I was yelled at a lot as a kid, so I've I've been a yeller, and I've had to really, 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 freaking fix
1: that. Sorry, go ahead. Okay. So those are the things that we're passing on, but or, mm-hmm. our responses might change. So maybe the way that our parents cope with it was through drinking, mm-hmm. right? Or yeah. eating. So they found other ways to cope with what was happening. And for us, it might be shutting down. It might be not talking to anyone, right? So the way that we cope with things might be different, but it all comes down the same stream. This reminds me of Dr.
2: Terry Real. Uh, We had him on the podcast and I'm reading his. We're obsessed with him, but he did all that research into um, men and depression in the late 80s that now I think we talk about a lot more. But he was saying if you have this covert depression, especially men, that they will carry it and carry it and carry it and it will find its way to the surface. And he was saying um, that sometimes they treat a man for depression and these behaviors that you would think were totally unrelated to depression will dissipate. Like one man was stalking his ex, okay? So that's a criminal behavior. We would never excuse it and we never should. But what Terry was saying is, once they treated that man for the depression and the trauma of his childhood, the urge to stalk went away. Because that that alone, this criminal behavior had come as an adaptation to depression and trauma that he wasn't dealing with, and it well totally. I mean, it's just all adaptive, mind. right? I mean, it, it, like all these crazy, I mean, crazy and air
0: quotes, um, maladaptive behaviors. I mean, are are in resp- very unconscious responses to what was handed down to us, and I, I do think the vast majority of people are sincerely doing the best they can which is back to so can we just give each other a break
2: you know and and then we can give them a break and also not let them keep doing it to us I had an ex-boyfriend that was cheating serially (laughs) and he was like I'm coming to understand it's because that's how I treat my depression and it was like, okay, cool, I got you, but let's you can do that somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe that, you're yeah, not a bad person, but you don't need yeah. to do it with me involved.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I I think like there's a difference. So most people, and I believe most parents do the best that they can. And I do want to say that, that that sentence alone, I think it often triggers people because it reminds some people that their parents really didn't didn't do the best that they could. And I believe that there's, there are times even for myself that I that I know that I could be doing better and I'm still choosing not to. The difference is that I try to constantly make the choice to try and attempt to be better. But there, there are parents who did horrible things to their kids. They were aware of the harm that they were causing and they didn't stop it, right? Or, or try to do something to change it. When we're talking about children, the dynamic is really vulnerable because a kid has no choice, right? They depend on that parent doing their best and and trying to change their behaviors. When we're talking about relational dynamics and there's two adults, yes, when we talk about manipulation, it is complex because of gaslighting can be harder for people to leave the relationship. However... Mm -hmm. We are still adults who, if we seek help to try to understand what's happening, we can get out. So if somebody is trying their best with the tools that they have and they're not a bad person, they're just making really poor choices. Yeah. That can only exist in a relationship with someone who accepts the choices and doesn't set boundaries, right? That's what allows that dynamic to continue. And I think that's when it gets more tricky when you're talking about kids because kids are so dependent on those adults to Yeah, to the work. They, they really can't be like, mom, I don't accept
2: the way that you are giving me consequences. I don't feel it's healthy for me. Like, how is that child who's been given unhealthy consequences ever even going to have that language? And the risk to setting that boundary, even for a teenager who might be able to intellectualize it, maybe physical, maybe physically or emotionally dangerous. Right. So we have a huge responsibility to do our best there.
0: Yeah. And I just I want you used a beautiful phrase earlier on in the show that I want to come back to um, how kids, um, they would normalize things. A lot of us normalize things to preserve connection. And that's survival in that little brain, even if that little brain, little brain isn't so little, even if you're a teenager. Right. Emotionally, you're your, sur- It is survival, right? And so I just, I, I, um, I want to go back to talking, you know, from earlier in the show, just about this opportunity that each of us has to look back and go, okay, some things went really horribly wrong. Um, but what can I do with it now? You know, especially for parents. Like, to me, that's been one of the greatest gifts of my kids. I always call them my little Buddhas. Um, because they, I recognize Yolanda, they are my mirror, right? They've taught me a ton. And it does feel like a gift to, in a lot of ways, repair yourself. I don't think it's a coincidence um, that I have transformed as a human being and that I'm a parent, you know, because it's like, holy smokes, I am being reminded regularly about where I am, you know, messing up. And I'm like you, I mean, I'm, I don't apologize every day. But uh, maybe maybe a few times a week. <laughs> it's like, oh, sorry, I messed up again. I don't know. It, it feels cleansing and and healing and and like the right thing to do, you know. Just to say, I'm trying so hard, and I'm sorry that I, you know, I've I've screwed it up, you know, and not modeling just, you know. mm-hmm. modeling repair. I feel like that's a huge gift. Oh, yeah. A lot of us R- didn't, making the repair yeah. in our household is on the reg, right? And and without it having to, and be and I this don't big think
2: we thing, got that. No, we're all no, Generation no, 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 no. X here, I think. And, and I don't know that any of us would have grown up having a parent genuinely apologize and explain how they're going to do something better in the future. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it really,
1: it does feel like a gift. Sorry, Yolanda, go ahead. Or that they're even aware of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Right, it's, it's such a power thing that's been, that we're reestablishing. We're looking for more like an equal like you are my equal you are another human being and we're just here trying our best and we're trying to understand each other and how can we support each other while I guide you because I also understand that I'm the adult in this relationship and you do need that because you're you're not an adult yet
0: yeah yes I mean amen All right. We have to wrap up. Oh, I wish I have so
2: many more questions. I wish we had more time together. We need Uh, to have Yolanda come back and talk about the, is it brain spotting? There's like three other things we have to talk about somewhere down the line.
0: And um, uh, we even talked about it. Gosh, the um, unmet needs test and list. I mean, there's just a bunch. So, uh, so come back and be on our show. We love you. Um, If you want to follow Yolanda's super cool TikTok, it's this is Yolanda Renteria um, our darling handsome wonderful uh, producer will put it in the show notes for us but uh, Yolanda thank you um, this has really been such a gift and, and the work you're doing is so important and you it's like you're doing this incredibly important successful work um, as this beautiful courageous person and that's just badass man so woman
1: <laughs> so thank you <laughs> thank you yeah. so much and thank you so much for sharing also of yourselves with me that that's so powerful to see all of us doing this work together
0: that's how we I transform together yeah. work together mm-hmm. that's the goal yep amen okay thanks uh yolanda and um this is a wrap of uh open relationships transforming together we've got some great guests coming up so uh uh, follow us, like us. What else do we say? Um, give us comments. Give us, you know, give us your comments. your advice. Give us your advice. How do we make this show even better, even we, more? We read impactful. all the comments. We really we do read the
2: comments that people
0: leave. So, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> and just we're we're super grateful for the chance to do this show. It is truly a gift and an honor. And so, to the extent that you're enjoying it, um, we invite you to subscribe and. Um, Thank you so much. All right.
1: That's the show, folks. Have a beautiful day.